XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On. Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix is a Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to another bonus episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. Only focus on their favorite, favorite band, forgetting that there are many other bands out there. I find now that summer tour is over, I can kind of reopen that part of my brain to other bands. Some people don't do it at all, and uh, we're trying to change that. We are, and today's episode, how we're trying to change this is by focusing on a year that feels a lot longer ago for a variety of reasons that we're going to get to uh, than it actually was. The year 2014, five years ago, we were counting down our 10 favorite albums from that year. Uh, Dave, I know we're going to get into this in a second. I think this was a pretty big year for both of us in a lot of ways, but from just a general 
world political everything standpoint to sports standpoint even a fish standpoint 2014 seems like it was two or three decades ago to me um yeah 2014 still the obama era and um found out in early 2014 that my wife was pregnant so most of 2014 was me kind of feeling like uh not exactly death row feeling like there was going to be a a major life change was going to occur and uh that happened we had our first daughter in october of 2014 so i know i kicked off 2014 going to uh the first of what would become many trips i took to nashville tennessee bought a really awesome white denim live show from uh, third man records on vinyl there that was pretty excellent but um i know fish played randall's island in 2014 i had a great pre-baby moon in uh charleston south carolina savannah hilton head uh most of my time in 2014 was spent listening to music and thinking wow my life is gonna change it's gonna change a lot <laughs> for the better for the better yeah i think uh and the cool thing is basically going forward from here, we're both in dad rock, um, which uh, I think we both would note uh, both complicates, but also deepens your appreciation for music. I definitely listen to music in a lot of different ways, especially now that my son is uh, really into selecting records for us to listen to and listening to music with me. But um, my 2014 was pretty different. I concluded, I started the year with uh, my last couple of months in South Korea. Uh, I read the book Infinite Jest, which was a huge life accomplishment from a reading standpoint. I loved that book. Uh, and then my wife and I shipped a bunch of boxes back to the, to the States, put on backpacks and got on a plane and flew to the Philippines. And we would spend the next four months backpacking around Southeast Asia, India. We went to Paris for a couple of days to try to reacclimate ourselves and then spent about three weeks on the East Coast doing a early July 2014 fish tour before we ended up back in Chicago. And uh, we had a good amount of money in our bank account from the time that we were in Korea and spent a couple of months trying to uh, get ourselves acclimated from a job standpoint. And we moved to Annapolis, Maryland, which we never expected to live there. And uh, found out in early 2015 that we were going to be parents. So 2014 was kind of like our last little honeymoon phase in life. It was a, it was a fun year. Uh, it was a really transformative year. I uh, listened to a ton of music, saw a ton of fish and yeah, we are going to count down each of our 10 favorite records from what was a very fascinating year. Uh, do you have anything more you want to say about 2014 or you want to jump into the countdown, Dave? Sounds like your 2014 was my 2013. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of travel, a lot of fish, mm -hmm. and then uh, reality struck about a year later. Exactly. We can jump in. So just um, as a reference, I took this list back when um, in 2014 I was writing for the uh, website CokeMachineGlow.com, which no longer exists, although the webpage and the archive is still up there. And we all made our list every year. So this is what I went back and what I had. So my number 10 album, 2014, is the second album from Paul Bearer, Foundations of Burden. They were um, 
a proggy doom metal band. Instead of like Cookie Monster vocals, uh, the singer had very clean vocals that kind of sound a little bit like Ozzy Osbourne, a little bit like uh, Jeff Tate from Queensryche, actually. But that's a very good example of uh, accessible uh, like doom metal album. It's um you can enjoy, I guess bands kind of like uh, I don't know Mastodon, Queens of the Stone Age. It's pretty easy entry while it's certainly heavy and dense it isn't what you call like crusty it doesn't have like the black metal cookie monster vocals it's a very good album it's uh, very complex i love the almost title track foundations and this is actually coming uh on the heels of the first album sorrow and extinction which was very good they kind of lost a bit of momentum with their third record heartless which i know some people loved it. I did not. And it kind of slowed a bit of uh, their commercial potential. Curious to see where they go from there. I know they put out an EP of Type O Negative covers. Because they're um, Type O Negative being one of my favorite doom metal bands. They were a big influence on Same. So yeah, but I think these guys have a, a fourth LP in the works. Maybe even coming out towards the end of the year, early next year. Curious to see where they go. It's interesting. So your second new album recommendation that you ever featured for Beyond the Pond was Paul Bearer Heartless. Oh, wow. Yeah. Throwing it way back. Um, It's funny. There are a couple I've uh, featured as well that I don't look as fondly back at. It's it's funny how that works. Um, So my number 10 record is a record from a band of Malian exiles who formed in Libya and then fled to America to record this uh, 2014 LP. The band is uh, Tiarwin. The record is Imar. This is a just fascinating record. It's super spacious. It's expansive. It's foreboding. Uh, This record came to me as I was preparing to leave South Korea, and I was going towards what I knew were very warm pastures in Southeast Asia, and this record just filled me with possibility. It was kind of this harrowing sense of dread for the unknown as well. Uh, it's a really interesting album. It's guitar heavy. It's very vocal heavy. It sounds like tribal chants at times. And um, this definitely taps into a style of music that I love from the Western part of Africa, uh, be it the more uh, rock and funk and reggae influenced or this that just feels... Um, like something that you'd hear on the Western, the Western Sahara. Um, just fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, of note, these guys were just, uh, unfortunately, the recipients of some pretty brutal uh, racism against them as they were trying to perform a concert. And I believe it was South Carolina um, from a bunch of uh, MAGA heads who had heard uh, that this was a band of Muslims playing in uh, in their state, and they reacted publicly in a very negative way. I don't believe anyone was hurt, but it's unfortunate. These guys are really amazing uh, musicians. Um, from what I can tell, from what I've read about their songwriting, it's um, some pretty revolutionary stuff in terms of politically and socially what's happening in their part of the world. And uh, I just love this record. So if you have not listened to this, Tanarwin, Mr. I think that a lot of listeners of this podcast would definitely, definitely dig it. I think they were recently working with Warren Ellis from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. 
He's the member. Oh no way! That band who has the crazy facial hair and plays like plays every instrument under the sun, kind of like Nick Cave's right hand man. But yeah, I think they were in the studio with him, and uh, that could be fucking explosive. So I'm looking forward to hearing the fruits of that labor. That would be amazing. So what do you have for number nine? What ended up being the last Tom Petty album, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Hypnotic Eye. This is actually the only um, post-Wildflowers Tom Petty album that I really think is solid top to bottom. Well, he certainly had some good singles, some good songs after Wildflowers. I happen to think his late 90s and um, OO's work is pretty spotty. Time is bordering on slightly uninspired. You know, he had that blues album Mojo, which was just plain bad, in my opinion. But he really, on Hypnotic Guy, he kicked it in the gear. Have uh, some catchy songs, almost like simple songs, just a really good collection of rock and roll that I really loved driving fast and playing in, uh, in uh, playing hard in 2014. Just as an aside, let me stop you for one second. This like reminds me in terms of 2014 as a listener. Oddly, 2014 was um the first year I really got into Umphreys McGee. Huh, interesting. I was um they kind of clicked for me in February of that year. I think February 2014 was kind of a watershed moment for that band, and I had a lot of long car rides to the courthouse for my job, and that's when I kind of became a full-on Humphreys fan. I know that was a bit of a digression from my top 10, but I feel like I want to slide it in there. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, So my number nine is a record from one of my favorite artists of the decade. Flying Lotus. You're dead. You're dead. With an exclamation point. Um, This dude just kills me. There's just noise, sugar-coated ideas that like fall from the ether, and it feels like every single song he crafts. Um, this record came out uh, two years after my favorite record of his, 2012's Until the Quiet Comes, which felt a lot more subdued, very entertaining, but it kind of felt like this like come down from a big party. Uh, You're Dead is a concept record about stepping over to the other side. Uh, it's just like free freak jazz for the digital age and it's kind of this like proof that whatever sound uh or whatever we think that death is we're just like not imagining enough like this album is just like filled with colors and ideas and songs or sounds that come out of like you know just out of nowhere that uh are are just mind-blowing um to steven ellison who is flying lotus it feels like death is this cacophonous party uh, filled with very like horrifying and childlike sounds it's just it's really 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 great stuff um i listened to this record a ton right when i got back from my trip uh and i was back in america it was in my head just like when i was running and it was in my car when i was driving it was one of those records i just felt like i could put on over and over and over again um, it was just, it, it, it kind of represented this weird space I was in transitioning back from a life away from all family, all friends, and then a life in buses and hostels and every place I was at changed on a day-to-day basis to this world that was increasingly familiar, a little bit more mundane, a little bit slower paced in that sort of sense, but also faster paced in a weird way. Uh, I don't know. So I listened to this record a ton, Flying Lotus, You're Dead. 
Mm. So I have for number eight is the uh, fourth and self-titled album from St. Vincent, a.k.a. Annie Clark. I think this is still her best record. This album is probably the funkiest St. Vincent record. It's got jams like Rattlesnake, Digital Witness, Bring Me Your Loves. Um, I think my wife kind of summed up with this album. She says, I like this album because it sounds like every song can be performed by a marching band, which that's <laughs> a pretty good description of the horns and the funkiness within it. It's almost like a companion piece to... Um, David Burns slash St. Vincent album Love This Giant, which I think it came out that year. It might have come out before. I forget. I kind of tend to mix up the two records in my mind. But this was... I think that uh, came out in 2012. Okay. Yeah. Alright, so that came out in 2012. This came out in 2014. So I guess it came out... It was in between uh, What Strange Mercy and this album. Yes, yes. This was kind of... Alright. So Love This Giant almost kind of felt like that was like the passing really. over for her. And I remember the first single off of this record when it came out. I was like, oh, there's the David Byrne influence. Right, okay. Yeah, all right. So that was kind of like the the dry run for St. Vincent, as it were. Yeah, this is probably the album I listened to by her the most. Kind of set the stage for Mass Seduction, which came out a few years later. Might be her most commercially successful album. But yeah, this is if you want to uh, get to the heart of what Annie Clark is about. It's funny, it's funky, it has some really abstract guitar playing, it's got horn charts. Very much enjoy it, still do. Very cool. Uh, yeah, and that record is later on my list, so what I said about it, I don't want to say it anymore. <laughs> uh, number eight for me is actually a kind of a nice companion piece to my last record, uh, Flying Lotus, You're Dead. Uh, Real Estate's Atlas, which is very much of a suburban weekend Sunday afternoon record it's kind of represents suburbia in the fact that it's like this constant conflict between very placid ease and the tension of nothingness and kind of things happening at all times but also a lot of quiet um, real estate from New Jersey has really done a good job taking suburbia and bringing it out into the world in a musical sense that's both appealing and also like you can kind of hear the tension within it um, this is probably my favorite record. I, I would actually say no, definitely. This is my favorite record from Real Estate. Um, this is definitely a... It's the best album. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was... Was this record two or three for them? Three. Three, okay. Um, this is definitely a staple, like, Sunday afternoon vinyl record for me. Uh, if I'm feeling like having an afternoon beer on a Sunday, I throw this on often. It's a great, great record for that setting. Um, I had this uh, with me a ton on random bus rides through Southeast Asia. It kind of felt like this window back home. Um, I don't know. I love this record. I love the songwriting on it. I love the guitar playing on it. It's something that still holds up. It feels somewhat timeless. Like I don't feel like this had to come out in 2014. It could have come out 10, 15 years earlier. It's really hard to kind of like screw up this style of music. Um, or make it sound dated in any way, I guess is a better way to say that. Um, so yeah, I put this on a lot. It's a great dad rock record. And uh, definitely, I, th- I think you and I have talked a lot about enjoying this album. Yes, it will uh, just may show up on this list later. <laughs> well, let's move on. Number seven. So my seven, number seven album 
was uh, the self-titled album by Ryan Adams. So, I mean, musically, that's, I think it was an excellent slice of uh, kind of 1980s-sounding West Coast, L.A. rock and roll, almost like uh, something that like AOR studio musicians would put together. Maybe even something like um, Brian Adams, Summer of 69 type stuff, especially uh, the first song, Give Me Something Good, kind of has like... Um, almost like a mid-80s Tom Petty, like Southern Accents era Tom Petty, uh, like production sensibility. Of course, I have not listened to that album in a very long time, and I will continue not to listen to that album, because, um, as you know, earlier this year, some accusations came out against Ryan Adams and some things that he may have done with, um, with underage women, underage um, female musician he was trying to mentor, and uh, also accusations from other female musicians that he was trying to mentor. And instead of apologizing and going away or showing any bit of remorse, he's basically just done a full Louis C.K. style heel turn, even has gone back on Twitter lately and just is trying to go back to the way things were. He's just, he's really, uh, it's a shame. And I could go into more detail, but suffice it to say, I don't, it's very, very hard for me to listen to this guy's music now. And he was uh, once, if not quite a hero, I definitely uh, enjoyed a lot of the stuff that he put out. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that I liked him a lot back in 2014. Yeah, yeah, I feel similar. I, I have a record later in the decade of, of his as one of my top albums. And that was uh, Prisoner was what was the first time I got into him really I, I enjoyed him before but that was the first record to really really connect with me and I went back I remember listening to self-titled album and loving it at the time and uh, unfortunately I uh, feel very similar to you um, so I hope that he gets the help it seems that he needs yeah he definitely needs help I don't I'm not saying he doesn't have the ability to work or uh, write some music at some point down the line but clearly he needs help needs to apologize yes he needs to uh start acting like a decent human being which does not seem to be the case at this point in time absolutely so turning the page here my number seven one of our favorite people on the planet one of our favorite songwriters making music right now tim showalter strand of oaks all caps heal you gotta heal you gotta heal so I live for records like this let me explain I missed this album when it came out and I missed everything that Tim had done prior to this this was my entryway to his music Uh, one of my best friends uh, one of a great friend of the pod someone we're hoping to record with here soon Brian Lee Weaver as he's wont to on kind of a semi-regular basis sent me a text message and said I think you would like this album and that was really all he said no just I, he, he has a, he and I listen to somewhat similar but very different music at the same time and I always will listen to what he sends me because it tends to be something I, I will actually love and I remember throwing this on I had just started a new job I was walking home from work I had this really beautiful walk through Old Town Annapolis and over um uh, over the bridge into Eastport and then through like all the row houses. And it was this very cool kind of period of my life where I was working, 
Uh, I was living in a totally new place. I didn't yet know I was going to be a dad. So I was kind of just in my own world in a lot of ways, in a, in a very cool way. Um, but I remember putting this on and it just like, just grabbing a hold of me and just like shaking me. It was like the kind of record that my dad would have given to me when I was like eight years old. My brother and I would have discovered together in like high school or college. I would have listened to like at two o'clock in the morning with my best friends when I was studying abroad. And even today when I put it on, it's like I have all these close friends that like I think about when I hear this record because it just feels like a celebration of life, a celebration and kind of um, recognition of the sadness that's in our lives. Uh, this sense of very Springsteen-like sense of needing to get out of someplace into something else that you have no idea really what it is, but you believe it's going to be better. There's so much hope in this record. There's so much realism in this record. There's a song uh, dedicated to Jason Molina, one of my favorite songwriters. Um, the song Shut In. I mean, we got to talk with Tim about this this song and this album when we had him on uh, the podcast back in April. And it was one of the just the thrills of my life to be able to chat with him about this. Um, yeah, this is my favorite record from Tim. This is my favorite uh, Strand of Oaks record. And this is definitely... Being in seven, I think, is be, is, is more because uh, I discovered this towards the end of 2014. I think if I had lived with this a little bit more, if this had come in in 2015, it would have been a bit higher. Um, this is one of those records that just lingered for the last five years for me in a really powerful way. And Goshen 97 is such a kick-ass opener. God, I know. It's like a statement of purpose. Man. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic record. I admittedly didn't really start listening to it until about uh, like two years after the fact. If I'd heard it in 2014, it would have been in my top 10 as well. But yeah, it's uh, Tim Walter is very, very good people, and that's a fantastic album. Very special, dude. So, I have for my number six, Lydia Loveless, Somewhere Else. Lydia Loveless is a, um, I don't know, she's pure country, kind of like country alt-country slash Americana singer-songwriter, and she just kicks tons of ass. She's got a great twang in her vocals. She writes excellent lyrics. She's got a wicked sense of humor. And somewhere else, it's just a fantastic rock and roll album. The first song on that album, Really Want to See You, was, if Spotify is correct, my single most streamed song of 2014. That song just kicks the door in. And then the follow-up, Wine Lips, is just a goofy ode to infatuation. That's probably my favorite one-two punch any album that uh, came out in 2014. In fact, um, me and my wife were in June vacationing in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. It's kind of the, the baby moon. I think earlier I had said we had taken like a long week with Charleston, went to Hilton Head, then went to Savannah, Georgia. I think like um, two hours once we got off the plane, we were eating, I was eating cheeseburgers in some restaurant with a beer. And then Lydia Loveless's Wine Lips come on. And I'm drinking, eating a cheeseburger. And I'm like, fuck yeah. This is a great song. This is a great piece of food. And I'm uh, very happy to be here at this point in time. And actually, she uh, just became a podcaster herself. She, uh, and a friend whose name escapes me, they have a podcast called Killed by This Podcast, where the subject is lifetime movies. They uh, watch and dissect 
Lifetime movies and all of the hilarious, shoddy police work and creepy things that happen in Lifetime movies. But, yeah, Somewhere Else is her third record. Her fourth album, Real, which I think came out in 2016, is also very, very good. I know um, she's touring, I think, this fall with the Mountain Goats. It's going to be a hell of a bill. Wow. I think she was in the studio not that long ago. Yeah. That would be an amazing show. Oh, yeah. Oh, you said, wow. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, she, um, Lydia Lovelace has a bad habit of always playing New York City when I'm out of town. So I have yet to see her live. I'm hoping that uh, changes at some point in the not too distant future. But if you like um, rock and roll that's excellently sung with the twang and very funny lyrics and emotion, then, uh, you could do way, way worse than uh, somewhere else with Lydia Loveless. That's an awesome record. In fact, I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably place it even a little bit higher on this list had um, had a few more years to put this record together. I mean, this list together. So. Yeah, it's definitely a record that I didn't listen to until a year or two later, and definitely agree with everything you said. It's just fantastic. Um, I would love to see a show of hers with the Mountain Goats. That would be incredible. Um, so my number six is Nils from Spaces. Uh, so just kind of story time setting the scene with this. I, I was on a train, uh, this snowy train ride from Seoul to Chuncheon, South Korea. And I was with like six of my best friends. We were all taking the train to Chuncheon. All of us were leaving Korea within the next five to six weeks. And we'd all met in Chuncheon four years earlier when we were all teaching in South Korea uh, in 2009-2010. We all knew we were leaving Korea after this two-year period. There was a very good chance none of us were ever going to come back. And to my knowledge, none of us have come back. Someone is making wine in Oregon. The other person is working in New York City. My wife and I live in Colorado. Other people live in London. There's just, we're all spread out. And so this was like this last moment of connectivity between us, our friends, and um, this town that we absolutely love. Chunchon is the closest place I've ever been to Missoula, Montana, which is my favorite place on earth. So we're all kind of hooked into our own devices, listening to music. And I'm looking out the window and I'm trying to figure out what to listen to. And I throw this on. I just downloaded it maybe two or three days earlier. And... This like view outside, passing through the mountains of Gangwondo that are just super unique and beautiful. All my friends here, this impending trek that I had through Asia, right in front of me, it all kind of mixed and swelled and really made for this really emotive experience listening to this album. After two years of my life, I was leaving Korea and the song says, hit me harder than basically any track in early 2014. It's, kind of inspires this sense of sadness of loneliness of gratitude it brings it all out of you and from's uh piano um and it was really the first album that captured me in 2014 this was the first record to make my top albums list of the year and kind of my ongoing playlist um it's been it was there for me throughout the year i listened to it you know we were on a bus ride late at night in uh cambodia or something or if i was uh, waking up early in the morning to go running and I kind of just needed something to put me in a zen space or really long drives across America when we got back to, to the States or kind of, I, I did a ton of writing that year and I would always put this record on because it allowed me to just zone out and write. Um, 
walking through my town, like wherever I was, it's always seemed to be kind of one of those records I could rely on. Um, it's like a good friend in that standpoint. So Nils from Spaces, if you like the more ambient instrumental type of music that I bring to the table here in Beyond the Pond, I think you would really enjoy this. It's a bit more of a melodic and classically infused touch to this, but uh, really, really, really great stuff. Awesome. So I have my number five, New Pornographers, Brill Bruisers. Uh, the New Pornographers are one of the most consistent bands in indie rock and roll ever since I think their first album, Mass Romantic, came out in 2000. Every album, they usually put out a new one every two or three years like Clockwork, just gorgeously produced power pop that is poured into your ears. And this album, I want to say, I think it was their seventh record. They're one of those bands that's just like so consistency, I mean, so consistent that you take the consistency for granted, a la Yola Tango, Spoon, um, even you could say Hot Chip at this point. So that said, I think their fourth album, Challengers, was a little sedate. The one that came after that, Together, kind of was a little more upbeat. The songwriting wasn't quite as sharp. But then with album number seven, Brill Bruisers, this is the one right from the jump, it all comes back together. And you're like, fuck yeah. This is just bright, loud, in-your-face, mainline new pornographers. They are uh, the band that consists of A.C. Newman. He's uh, the head singer-songwriter. Of course, Nico Case has her own incredibly good solo career. But she also uh, sings backup and writes her own songs with the new pornographers. At this point, um, Dan Behar of uh, Destroyer fame was still in the band. He would uh, not be featured on the new Pornographer's album after that. And I don't think he's actually on either upcoming one, which comes out in September either. But they're a band that I've seen live several times. I just love them because they are upbeat and excellently produced and bright and catchy. And this album came out, I want to say, in August of 2014. So this is kind of towards the end of the dog days of summer. Fall was just about to be starting up. Um, Labor Day weekend was coming, and I knew that we were due to have our first child around uh, the first week of October. So I kind of used this album sort of to get me over to the transition, and it also gave me a whole lot of joy um, when our bundle of joy was produced on October 9th. So they're a band that I hope never goes away because they kind of treat power pop just like a vocation. They don't have day jobs. They certainly have made a living playing shows and selling records. Just really excellent professional musicians. I always forget that um, Hannah's birth date was uh, one year prior to Wally's due date. Well, he was due to be born on October 9th, right. 2015, and uh, he was born on September 12th because he just wanted to come early. <laughs> um, I think um, friend of the podcast, Jesse Jarnow, his birthday is oh, on cool, October 9th cool. as well. Would have been, yeah. been a good day, but um, so. he was di- he's divisible by three with the 9, 12, 15, which worked quite well for Susie and I. Um, <laughs> ah, all, right. all right, so my number five is from a musical god Brian Eno and Carl Hyde High Life 
I mean, I feel like, and the same is true in 2014 as it is in 2015. Um, like everything that's happened in the last 40 years in music, like so much of it can be traced to what Brian Eno's done. Um, every band that I listen to, and I would say you as well, uh, every uh, every band that we love, Eno's kind of touched them in some way. He was the de facto producer for about 30 years when a mega popular band decided that they wanted to get serious. They'd hire Eno and he would add a ton of space and atmospheric sound and noise and um, kind of open, open-endedness to their music in an experimental way and change them up. Uh, Coldplay. Coldplay. Best album. Coldplay did this. By far. Probably the most famous example is U2 who hired him for my favorite U2 record, The Unforgettable Fire and worked with him through I believe Octoon Baby and then again on uh, uh, No Line on the Horizon which uh, as we talked about with our friend of the pod Ryan Nichols holds up a bit better in hindsight than it did in the moment but anyway Talking Heads too Talking Heads yeah he was basically a part of the Talking Heads he produced Remain in Light Fish you know in 1996 obviously covered Remain in Light and then in 1998 uh, played an ambient jam that was deliberately in the style of Brian Eno. And yet they have not actually hired Brian Eno to help them out in the studio yet. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are listening, Fish, uh, we'll say it once again. Um, you know, big dream here at Beyond the Pond would be a Fish record produced by Brian Eno. So if there's anything we can do to help kind of persuade you guys in that way, aside from constantly featuring him on the podcast, uh, you know, we, we would love to be of service. But the only problem with that is I think your head would explode and there would be no more podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be the, the convergence of Beyond the Pond. Um. Mm. I don't have your skills in editing, but I, I, I guess I can figure <laughs> it out by myself. I don't know. Yeah, I would just be in a corner for, for a full year. Um, but this record, High Life, was, was recorded. Uh, it was one of two records that uh, Eno and Carl Hyde had recorded together uh, in 2014. This... I don't know. There's no way to really go into detail of it. It's a Brian Eno record. You kind of know what you're getting into, um, but it also surprises you in really fascinating ways. Um, the, the opening track, Return, uh, as I wrote in 2014, listen to the song and try not to weep for the sheer sake that you're alive. It's one of those, like the big ship type of uh, melodic chordal progressions from uh, Eno that just makes you so grateful for the fact that you get to live on a planet where someone makes music like this um and it just seems to like the, the imagery i get in my head whenever i listen to that it's on par with ambient one one it's on par with um like i said the big ship off of uh, another green world um it's just a very magical way that brian eno makes music that hits your soul in a very very wrenching way uh so Brian Eno, Carl Hyde, High Life. I feel like this record has kind of been overlooked in his overall career, and I would highly recommend it to anyone listening. Of course, Carl Hyde being um, the vocalist and half of the electronic and music duo Underworld, who are yes. one of my favorite bands of all time. Love, love, love Underworld. So, yeah, between... Uh, Speaking of Ryan Nichols. Yeah, that's right. Big Underworld fan. Huge First fan. time uh, me and Ryan got together... In person, was at, uh, I was at an Underworld concert at uh, Terminal 5 in New York City, I think two years ago. Amazing band, and but yeah, I love a fantastic record. It's, uh, you yeah. really get the best of both worlds there. Totally. So my number four 
is from Memphis, Tennessee, Lucero. <laughs> Lucero, Memphis, Tennessee-based Road Dogs. They put out a double live album that year called Live from Atlanta. That is without question. If you have to get one Lucero document, that is the one to get because the studio records, while fine, are a little scattered. But the live double live album basically serves as Lucero's greatest hits, and it has all of the the energy which they are known for on stage. They're kind of um, they do rock and roll, there's soul, there's punk elements. It kind of there's a, more than a little bit of Springsteen. Certainly, uh, lead singer Ben Nichols. He's kind of um, one of those vocalists who, uh, for singing badly, is like singing good. You know, he's got the scratchy. Sounds like he lives off of cigarettes and whiskey, which he kind of might to a certain degree. Although I know he's married with a very cute daughter. He shows up on Instagram from time to time. But yeah, this is. Um, these guys are always on the road. They make the money playing lots and lots of shows. This is a great rock and roll album. I put it on the car. I drive too fast. I listen to it to annoy my wife because she says, Does this band never stop singing about whiskey? I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. That's what sells, and that's what they're really good at. So they're not dumb. I know... I think they played some shows with the Hold Steady at one point, but they're kind of, they don't really conveniently fit into any box, except I just, if I have to describe them, I'll say like a Springsteen kind of, Bruce was to go to Memphis, Springsteen meets like Memphis Soul, Memphis Soul sort of like uh, the Stax era, there's definitely some really good horn charts, they bring horn players on stage for these shows, it's It's a band worth diving into. It's a band you have to see live. And if you live long enough, they're bound to come through your town at some point. uh, The last time I saw them was on a double bill with Clutch, who are another band that are complete road dogs. They're sounding somewhat different than Lucero and the fact that they're a pile-driving 70s muscle car groove metal band kind of tend to attract the same fans, which is large bearded and tattooed guys wearing cargo shorts and drinking IPAs so got no problem with that kind of crowd and you should absolutely check out this double live album from Lucero I'm going to be listening to that uh, later this evening that sounds fantastic you haven't heard uh, that album? I don't I have not and I don't know how I've missed it because oh man sounds... the first song it just sounds like an outtake from the river oh hell yeah that sounds amazing I need yeah. to listen to that awesome thank you uh, see, this is the fun thing is we get to like see where each other's heads were at this point in time and where they weren't also. Uh, and on that point, my record, uh, then my number four record is an album that Dave has featured already. St. Vincent's uh, self-titled album. I loved Annie Clark during 2014. She seemed so confident and so arrogant in a good way. And so just like cutting edge and almost the same sort of sense you get out of like whenever Trey talked in interviews or was on stage in fall 1997, it just feels like an artist, not only at the top of their game, but also just having like the most fun time doing it. And obviously like Dave talked about, this came off of her great record with David Byrne from 2012. This record's not nearly as weird as strange mercy from 2011. It's a little bit more 
kind of shows off her pop sensibility. It's a little bit more accessible. It's got this like very grandiose imagery. Um, you have this song that's like manically infectious and in di digital witness, which I believe we featured in episode three about River Port Gin. Um, that song, I mean, it's, I don't know if any song has ever criticized American laziness and destitution and sounded so much fun doing it. Uh, I just love, love this record. It was so infectious when it first came out in this like brutally cold winter in South Korea. And then it was there for me in Asia. And then when I got back to America, this was kind of that record you'd put on it two o'clock in the morning to keep the party going with all my friends who I was seeing for the first time in a while super super fun stuff um can't say enough about this album I, I loved it yeah i like annie clark a whole lot i'm a little nervous for the forthcoming slater kinney album which i think actually um when this goes to air i think on that thursday the whole slater kinney record might come out um that friday yeah the oh, four wow. advanced singles i have heard of course annie clark she produced that album the rollout's been quite a doozy because uh, the drummer Janet Lo uh, Janet Weiss left the band. She recorded the record. She's on the album, but she like left the band during the promotional rollout. They have to get a new drummer because all the tour dates been booked already. And from what I've heard, it sounds very Saint Vincenty, not so much Slater Kinney. Like I withhold judgment until I hear the whole album, but I'm a little nervous because I love that band dearly. Yeah, it's tough when you get two of your favorite artists. Uh together in a in a way in a collaboration almost like that it can be tough so i have for my number three album sturgill simpson made of modern sounds and country music <laughs> being that's the voice of his grandfather introducing the album i think i first heard about sturgill simpson in um an article he was interviewed by a friend of the pod, Stephen Hyden. And then from there, I went on YouTube and checked out his song, Turtles All the Way Down, which is sort of the uh, psychedelic-ish country song about philosophy and about different drugs and how they affect the mind. And I said, sign me up. This is awesome. This is where I'm at. And that's... Um, to me, that's still probably my favorite Sturgill Simpson record. I know uh, the one he put out before it, I think called High Top Mountain, was very good. And of course, um, the one afterwards, Sailor's Guide to Earth, more of a country politan thing, with, uh, lots of horn charts and strings and whatnot. Just in terms of some really excellently produced, good sounding, kick ass like country songs, it's really hard to go wrong with this album. It was also produced um, by this guy, Dave Cobb, who I think at the time was starting to, so, sort of starting to come into his own. But Dave Cobb, his thing is kind of making artists sound like they're supposed to sound. He might do some reverb on the vocals here and there, but he's really good at instrument separation, and he just has a very warm, live, in-studio feel to this album. And this album kind of helped him take off a bit. Now it seems like everybody's hiring Dave Cobb to get like a good lifting classic sound. I think I might have said at one point in the podcast that if Fish had to record with somebody in Nashville other than Bob Ezrin, I would love him to record with Dave Cobb because he could really capture some excellent live energy like he does here. But this is just an honest-to-goodness 
country album, and it was kind of almost the coming out of sorts for this guy, because ever since this album, he's Sturgill Simpson's blown the fuck up. Yeah, I know he's uh, been doing some acting. I think he's in like a sitcom or two, maybe something on like CBS On Demand. Um, he's been really funny on Stephen Colbert. I think he recently announced his next album, which is also he's doing it in conjunction with uh, like anime. Interesting. Like every like every song is gonna have an accompanying like anime movie, like anime like cartoon video. And he says it's like an incredibly loud, incredibly greasy, fucked up rock and roll album. <laughs> and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who likes to repeat himself. I know I saw him um I saw him last summer on Farm Aid. His band was down to a four-piece, and he was playing all the leads, and it just kind of sounded like... It sounded like Government Mule, except heavier and louder, and I think kind of like what Warren Haynes thinks Government Mule sounds like. (laughs) The Sturgill Simpson band actually does sound like. So, I'm a big fan of the guy. I'm very psyched for his next record. But for now, I'll listen to Metamodern Sounds and Country Music because it's, uh, you could just fucking put it on and forget about it. It's great. Yeah, this is my favorite album from his. This did not make my list because I did not fully appreciate Sturgill until about a year or two later when a lot of my interests started to change in different ways. We'll see in the next couple of uh, countdowns. But um, I, my brother saw him headline Telluride Bluegrass Festival last year. Um, Apparently, he had a gig at Deer Creek Amphitheater the night before in Indiana. Drove all night long, all day, got to Telluride, Colorado. Like, had to just, like, drive the entire time. Came out on stage, said we hadn't slept in, like, 40 hours. We didn't do a sound check, but let's fucking party! And uh, my brother said it's, like, one of the 10 best shows he's ever seen in his entire life. Uh, So... I, I definitely need to see him, and I, I vouch for this record as well. Uh, my number three is slightly similar to your number seven, although the man in question has not been accused of anything quite as awful as Ryan Adams, uh, and I've actually listened to this record, but it, but hear me out in the comparison. Sun Kill Moon's Benji. Um, I think in the years since this album came out, this album was like a revelation for Sunkill Moon. Uh, it was it is super stark. It is super naked. It is um, just like story American storytelling about small town America and just the tragedies that happen that go unnoticed around this country on a day to day basis to literally anyone. Uh, it's so in all encompassing in that sort of way and his his conversational tone has never really sounded better but since this record Mark Kozlik has basically recorded a bunch of shit and he's proven to be kind of an arrogant jackass and not a really kind person in his uh, uh, public persona uh, we'll say that so I haven't really followed too much of his work after this I loved this record the um, opening track, Carissa, has this line uh, in the in the chorus that's uh, you don't just raise two kids and and take out your trash and die, which like to me summarizes like the meaningless meaninglessness of just like death in middle America in the modern age. I don't know. It's it's this record hit me 
in early 2014, uh, right as I was getting on the road, and then my uncle passed away in late March of 2014, quite surprisingly. And I listened to this record just over and over and over again because it uh, was both kind of healing in a way to hear some, you know, like the, the idea of death and the idea of losing people spoken about in such stark simplicity but also uh, just allowed me to get like some emotions out that I needed to. Um, I loved this record. I loved um, uh, just kind of the simple storytelling of it. I just recently took a road trip to central Wyoming with a pretty like, specific purpose and interest of exploring small town America while also kind of learning about people. And I talked with a lot of like people from small town America and, um, just a part of the world and a part of like this country that I'm just not very familiar with and uh, just interests me more and more and more as I grow up um, and this record kind of summarizes that uh, a lot in um, in its writing so definitely uh, would recommend Sun Kill Moon's Benji uh, I think it's without question the best work that he's made uh, in the last five years and um, I kind of feel like you can stop after this and you're good with, with Mark Kozlik I don't like this record Sorry. <laughs> Even like that, everything I just said doesn't convince you. Don't like this record. That's what makes the podcast good. We don't always agree. This is the, this is very very true. <laughs> even even on our fish bracket uh, choices. Yes. <laughs> anyway, my number two, Real Estate's Atlas. Great record. Everything that you said and more. This just the first song, the guitar lines. The first song had to hear it. It just—it's like ringing a bell. It just like I put it on. I just drift off to a special, excellent place. This was a Sunday morning record for me for a very long time. Still is. I think it's by far their best album. It's the one that um, you know just captures the feeling of sort of lazy psychedelic suburbia. This is also, I think, the last record that had. Um, was his name Matt Mondale? Yeah, I believe you're right. Right, who was forced out of the band under um, circumstances that he treated uh, some other people very, very badly. Was not asked to return for the fourth real estate album. Um, but yeah, this, this was the original lineup of the band. Just an airy and gorgeous album. It probably has the best. Most of the songs are sung by Martin Courtney think um the bass player alex bleaker usually gets like one or two songs per album i think this album probably has his best songs and it's just from start to finish i like albums you can put on and forget about them because they play themselves this one there's no need to skip there isn't anything that's going to make you sit up from your chair and be like what was that it just all flows together it sounds great and also uh this is one of the earlier newish albums I got in vinyl because I finally got a turntable at the end of 2013. I think it's a Hanukkah present. So I think this came out in pretty early 2014. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to start buying all these records in vinyl. So this is one of the uh, first newish ones as opposed to ones taken from family and friends and relatives from my dad's collection. Hmm. Sounds awesome on vinyl. It really does. It was yeah. made for it. So my number two is 
from a band that um, has just been kind of like what Dave was talking about with the new pornographers, a band that has been making very consistent, very good indie rock for two decades now. And I don't necessarily think it's the full credit that they, that they deserve. And that's Spoons and the album is They Want My Soul. This was kind of an interesting record for me with the with the band um, because this was I'd always liked Spoon, I'd always appreciated Spoon, um, but I'd never loved Spoon. Uh, like Gaga Gaga was a record that we were listening to in the tail end of college. Reminds me a lot of that time period in my life and was just a very agreeable record at the time. I don't think I totally appreciated the brilliance of it and how great the songwriting is on there until later. Uh, Transference, I remember that came out in 2010 and felt like a deliberate shift uh, for for the band. And it took me a long time to really appreciate that record. I like that record a lot more in hindsight than I did in the moment. But then this album came out and I remember listening to it in kind of late August, early September 2014. Threw it on and, um, you know, uh, the Rent I Pay opens it up. It's a really fantastic rock and roll song. But then the track Inside Out sounds like almost nothing that Spoon has ever made before. Really atmospheric. Shimmers. Yes, it shimmers. And I remember being like, what the hell is going on here? And and that kind of connected me to the record in a way that I just listened to it probably without like, you know, aside from a couple other records, I listened to this just nonstop for like six weeks straight. I went and saw Spoon for the first time on September 2014 at the Chicago Theater. They were a great, great professional rock band. Um, but this has great songs like Do You, Knock, 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 New York Kiss, all packed tightly under 40 minutes um it's just kind of like accessible in its weirdness and it's the kind of record that can extend a band's career by at least a decade simply by it existing it's just a very solid representation of the band um i was not as huge of a fan of hot thoughts a record that came out i believe either 2017 or 2018 um 2017 but I, be, I believe that they have another record in the works here uh, for the next year or so. I know that they just lost their bassist, um, but I believe I had heard that they are recording. I'd love to hear um, kind of you know, an update on this record of some sort. Uh, this style just seemed to really fit whatever spoon where their heads were at that point in time. So my number one. Okay, this is 2014. There's uh, an artist that neither myself nor Brian have mentioned so far on this podcast <laughs> we've mentioned them many times in many other podcasts to the point of exhaustion to the point where people wondering if we were a sleeper cell for this band but my number one album in 2014 is yeah War on Drugs Lost in the Dream yep. sounds as good now as it sounds in 2014 this is my favorite War on Drugs album. I think it's the best War on Drugs album. And it's definitely an album that Brian and myself has spilled a lot of ribble ink and whatnot. So I'm not going to belabor the point too much. But if you like classic American, well-produced, driving rock and roll that makes you feel like a million bucks, and want to get into a car and drive as fast and as far as you can, you will like this album. And if you're 
listening to us at this bonus episode at this point in the game, chances are you probably have already injected this album into your veins. So. Yes, this is also my number one. Uh, I believe this is the record and the band that is really responsible in a lot of ways for Dave's and my continuation of this podcast. I, I remember going back to our first episode and there's a moment where I ask you if you thought if you think Lost in the Dream is a brilliant record or is a masterpiece and you just immediately are like oh yeah it's a fucking masterpiece and I remember recording that and being like okay I think we see eye to eye on something very very important here um, this record so I am going to belabor it just for a second because I love this record and I just want to say a little bit more um, this was my number one record of the year from the moment that I heard it to the end of the year it is my it was my favorite record of the first five years of, of the 2010s and um, it's going to be interesting to see where it falls in my top albums of the decade because it's just stuck with me through a lot over the last five years. I want to read just what I wrote about this record and my top albums of the, the decade or of 2014 uh, essay that I wrote. Uh, no album has meant as much to me in the last five years as Lost in the Dream. It was there as a gift from my brother in my inbox on my third day in Vietnam, just waiting to be open. And I would do anything to go back to that moment right before this record became a part of my everyday life. Just like knowing how I felt as a music fan before then. And then I remember pressing play and running through the streets of Saigon and it just like completely blowing my mind. It was the net. It was there the night that I found out that my uncle passed away and it immediately connected me to my dad and to my brother from across the world in a very, very profound way. My dad, my brother, my uncle, and I all had a very uh, similar taste in music. And my dad and my uncle, um, they've always influenced my brother and I in terms of the type of music we listen to. And this was just a very connected record for all of us. Uh, it was there on this 18-hour overnight bus ride through a monsoon in southern Laos and eastern Cambodia that I will never forget. It was there in a mansion in the jungles of Bali where one of the best friendships I have ever made uh, was born. Uh, shout out to John Lagar. It was there blasting through the pavilion of SPAC on a rain-soaked July 3rd night. I remember prior to the show starting, it's blasting from the speakers and just like, I couldn't even talk to anyone. I was just loving the moment. It was there in the streets of Chicago when I ultimately met the band. I met Adam Grandshield. I thanked him so much for the music. I uh, shared this like very small intimate concert with them at a record store. Uh, it was there when my family reunited in September, exactly six months after my uncle passed. Uh, it was there on every drive I took between Chicago and Annapolis during the fall. And it was there on my first walk across the Eastport Bridge to my new job. And it is still here today. Uh, 2014 was one of the most riveting, challenging, eye-opening, heartbreaking, and affecting years of my life. And my only hope turning to 2015, and this turned out to be true, was that the album would continue to grow with me rather than simply becoming a relic on the year gone by. And this record, as I found out I was going to become a dad, as I had my son, as I went through that experience of learning how to be a dad, and this was the first record I played for my son, uh, two years later when my wife got sick, this record was there as kind of like a healing uh, cleanse when Dave and I formed this podcast this was there as like holy shit here's a huge record for both of our lives it connects us both and uh, I still listen to this 
just constantly. I love, love, love this record. It's one of my favorite albums ever made. Um, and I'm gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see how this uh, falls on my overall list of the decade because it has had clearly a very profound impact. Absolutely. So, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, our recap of our top 10 favorite albums of 2014. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, really good year for music i think a lot of these records have held up in a lot of ways and um onwards to 2015 when we both are our new dads so uh as you may know at this point we're pretty active on social media you can find us on twitter at underscore beyond the pond sometimes brian uses the twitter account sometimes i use it There's certainly clues that can, can figure out as to who's tweeting it at one time we have um, our website, our Simplecast page. It's uh, beyondthepond.simplecast.com. Certainly check out all the other fantastic podcasts of the Osiris Podcast family, of which we are a proud member, at osirispod.com. And we have our Spotify, Spotify playlist that we uh, try to update after each episode with uh, songs we have featured on the show. That's in... Um, it's getting quite unwieldy at this point. That can be found on Beyond the Pond playlist. Beyond the Pond. Beyond the Pond podcast, podcast songs. songs. Beyond the Pond podcast songs playlist. It's getting late on the East Coast. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. This has been a ton of fun, and uh, we will see you guys back here in uh, in two weeks uh, with our uh, with a, a great episode that we are looking. Looking forward to prior to Dick's 2019. It's going to be, until then, it's going to be a lot of hand-holding. There's going to be a lot of kumbaya. But ultimately, we're all going to convene. We're going to fight the scourge of fish myopia. And we're going to go beyond the pond. Lost in the dream of just the silence of a moment. It's always hard to tell Down in the way They cut it open and they sold it It's always hard to tell Osiris.